On March 24, 2023, Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida signed into law HB 837, a sweeping tort reform bill that overhauls the state's litigation landscape. I'm Lee Levy, co-founder of Nanato Media and author of Beyond Se Habla Español, How Lawyers Win the Hispanic Market, and this is In Camera Podcast, where, as far as we can tell, HB 837 provides no real benefit to anyone except for insurance companies. Legal Marketing Conversations, Grace. Welcome back. So nice to see you. How'd you been? Good. How about you, Leo? Doing all right over here. That's good. Listen, I'm glad to hear. And everything around here has been okay, you know, busy. And as we are recording this episode, we're already in April. Actually, by the time this episode comes out, Masters Made Perfect Spring Edition would already be behind us. And it's quite exciting to see that, particularly on a day that we have a lot to talk about uh, mass torts and just legislation and changes and updates that have been around the legal world, um, we just happen to have so much to cover. But why don't we start with a little recap on Formula One, Grace? I have not had a chance, and I know this is not the forum, but I cannot let this episode go uh, without me asking you, how are you enjoying the season? I want to throw Red Bull out the window. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. But, it's so you know, unfair, right? It's so unfair it, that they have it, such a powerful car. Like it's like it's so unfair. Not only that, but honestly, the like I, I get the whole restarts from the last sh- you know the last uh, sessions that they had, and yeah. I I like that they did that. And honestly, listening to Fernando Alonso when oh he was God. like, "Remember Silverstone?" He's I'm like, gem. "Here's right. Here's this yeah. amazing man. Been I mean, he's 40 plus years old, yeah. still racing at the top of his game. Who yeah. does that? He's like." You know Tom Brady of yeah, <laughs> of yeah he's, One. It's, he's the best thing of the season, like hands he down. He really is. It's, Love it's it. Just not just entertaining, but is just a breath of fresh air to what's the monotony of the of, of the Red Bull dominating era in which we are. Um, but I don't know. I think you know. I understand that you're you're suffering a lot of pain through the Ferrari stumbles uh, because they're really they're really just. You know, oh my God! They can't get it's it together, just, man. They can't get it together. Like I feel just, bad. I feel bad uh, for them. I feel well, bad. I don't for know. Them, like half the time, it's like Leclerc. You know, like when he does good, he's good. But then yeah. they screw him on strategy, and then when they're good on strategy, he has terrible luck. So I'm like, I don't know anymore what's going on for, with Ferrari. Yeah. I mean, they keep making changes, making changes. Yeah. Honestly, I think a big part of it, and this is part of what we do, even in our firm. So you got to listen to your drivers, right? And I think that Ferrari's been this juggernaut forever and ever. They don't ever listen to their drivers. I mean, they never have and they never will. I think, I think they're undecisive, actually. I think they're I think they're lacking that, you know, whether they 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 are 
either listening to their drivers and taking their side or they're actually you know listening to the to the strategy team and i don't know it feels kind of like they they're always like in between both and they take last minute decisions that end up not turning out very well <laughs> like you know they pitbox both cars at the same time like you know that that kind of yeah that kind of stuff <laughs> that kind of stuff oh that God. you don't see happening in other teams so yeah certainly but but anyhow i mean you know uh it's a new management team still kind of like I guess you can say still getting their toes dipped in the water, but you know, I think very soon that tolerance, uh, it's going to run out. And, you know, just before we wrap this up, I mean, it's nice to start seeing um, Mercedes, uh, you know, living up to their, yeah, living up to their name up to a certain extent. I mean, you know, at least now they're 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 starting to to see more to see more solid with a car that it's a little bit more competitive than Aston, at least Aston, right? Um, but still, still surprising, yeah. Too. But still yeah. lagging, yeah. Actually, yeah, because they, it, it was. Exp- I mean, you know, everybody thought that they were not going to make any any improvements until at least Silverstone. Like, how were they going to be able to, to get the, the car performance to so drastically change? And yet here we are. So you know, it's been full of surprises, and I'm yeah. I've just felt it was important to touch on that. And so sorry for everyone who doesn't care a bit about this, and they just spend their last three minutes hearing. Us talk about it, but Grace, here is the good news: is that there's quite a bit to talk about, and the reality is that not all of it is actually uh, good news. Uh, some of it is actually quite disturbing and concerning. And I guess one of the things that has kind of like taken place over the past couple of weeks since we've last had a conversation is the Florida tort reform. And so, Grace, for those who've not necessarily been paying a lot of attention what's been happening in Florida, can you just give us a quick rundown of what this reform is about and why do we even care? So, you know, there's a lot of legalese, unfortunately, that's going into this tort reform, but the overarching concepts are, you know, what to know and why is this tort reform, what it's doing is it changes the concepts of um, negligence in terms of the way that they get um, sued, right? People own personal property, including personal injury. Um, and um, they're even looking into the acts of the person that was on that property to potentially um, reduce the amount of money that you would be owing them for getting hurt on your property, as an example. So what it is, is it was actually passed on March 24th, 2023. So very, very recently. Um, Florida's governor signed, it's called HB 837. Nobody really cares, but that's what it's called into law. Um, what this, the terms that they're using is, is this is passing extensive tort reform measures pertaining to civil litigation. So PI attorneys. Okay. Um, one of the first things, and one of the most important things is the statute of limitations. So many of you know what that is, obviously, uh, for those of you that don't, it's very basic. It's how long from the date of the incident to when you're allowed to actually continue to file. After that time, you can't file for that case. So it went from four years to two years. That is number one. So you no longer have a four-year span from the date of the incident. It's minimized and reduced to two years, first and foremost. Secondly, um, there's what they call negligent security. Sorry, go ahead. Which, which grace that? 
sorry, no, just want to say that that actually puts Florida in line with um, several other states that actually have a two-year statute of limitations. So I think, you know, they're kind of like we're Correct. running a little bit behind to where uh, many other states have transitioned already. And obviously, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it causes a lot of problems for people because, like you said, what if you develop a problem after the fact and now you no longer have a way to... Yeah. get compensation for an injury that you deserve compensation on. So it, it is yeah. a big problem for a lot of PI attorneys and PI firms in, in Florida, you know, this, this, and it was just a sweeping yeah. tort reform that was just signed into bill and just immediately went through, which doesn't generally happen with bills if people know how that works. So it's, it's kind of surprising in that respect and not so much on other respects, because just like you said, I think that they're falling more in line now with other States, including what the next point of this is. And that is the negligence aspect. Now, when Florida, um, you know, like if you're in a car accident, it's a no fault state, which what that means is, you know, it's pure, it's called pure comparative fault. So basically, whoever it is that's at fault, that's, you know, you just figure out who's at fault and that's it. Now, in Texas, <laughs> as a matter of fact, which is interesting because I know that's where you are, Leah, um, I've dealt with motor vehicle accidents. And as a matter of fact, in Texas, you, if you are more than X percent at fault, then you are, you, you're do nothing like in the car accident from the insurance company, from anybody. So Florida has now changed it from pure comparative fault to what they call modified comparative, which means if a plaintiff or a person that's suing is more than 50% at fault, they, there's no recovery. So the jury will have to find them, you know, guilty for more than 50% or 50% more at fault, 50% or more at fault for the injury or the accident. So that, that does change the game quite a bit. Um, you know, in a way, I, I kind of understand why it's going that direction, right? Because if somebody's more at fault for an accident than someone else, shouldn't they not get compensation? Um, so that's kind of the the reason I, I as I see it and from the information that I'm able to glean as to why they did this. Right. They want to limit the liabilities. They want to increase the in their minds, increase the businesses uh, coming to Florida. Right. So that they can limit premises liabilities. Another thing which has to do yeah. with slip and falls and people's um locations right so if you own a business in florida yeah. and somebody falls and you had all these things in place like security cameras you know you had signs well i mean should you be at fault that's the that's the question that this is now answering you as a business now have a little bit of a, a more protection as a business um that if you had certain things in place that you really could you could still be sued but you won't necessarily have to pay out or you will have to pay out if you're found negligent. But if you're not found negligent, then why should you have to pay if they just didn't follow signs or other things that you put in place? So it's a, it's, yeah. it's an interesting thing, um, particularly on the medical expenses like you were talking about. Um, I don't know if you want to even mention about that, but that's probably a good component to start from. Yeah, look, um, I mean, overall, as you're saying, Grace, uh, I mean, everything that has to do with uh, statutes of limitation, comparative negligence, obviously narrow further uh, down the possibilities of actually um, having eligibility to file claims. So obviously they're kind of like narrowing down the window for people that can actually file claims. 
making it harder, like in plain vocabulary, there's just, you know, this is 100% a, a law that is here to benefit insurance companies and nobody else. Like, it's just as simple as that. Now, one thing that I think it's even more significant is all of the limitations that are being put up on medical treatments, right? Whereas now lawyers need to, it is, uh, it needs to be disclosed whether lawyers are referring doctors, uh, uh, clients to doctors and the limitations also in which uh, treatments doctors can actually provide to the patients. And, you know, I believe it's called a fee schedule and other uh, components to it that basically do not have the patient's interest in mind, but rather kind of like ensuring that a very cost-preventive uh, process is being followed just to ensure that insurance companies can continue paying the least amount possible for damages to victims. And that's so upsetting. It's just, it's just simply upsetting, right? Because I've been, you know, in, in preparing for this podcast, I was uh, hearing uh, surgeons and doctors as well, uh, and other doctors also just talking about the implications of this law, but they've just pointed out very, very specific examples in which MRIs are necessary from a very early stage on dealing with a patient where after completing the MRI, they can actually establish that uh, preventing sur a preventive surgery can uh, save a patient from paralysis, for instance. And in, in, in these new guidelines, in this new process, the MRI would not be possible to be completed uh early at an early stage which could potentially lead to someone who's been injured to actually developing a, a, a permanent paralysis just because just because of the you know whatever waiting time period that now it requires to get an actual mri and so that's just uh sad and upsetting no, I mean, this it's pretty bad, right? I mean, that they even took away the attorney-client privilege for disclosing the uh, doctors that you're referring to. So that's that's actually a pretty big deal. I mean, like, they're basically saying that, you know, I, I can ask who you sent or who you referred uh, the client to, and I can find out, and that has nothing to do with attorney-client privilege, which... <laughs> I mean, isn't everything supposed to be privileged between the client and the attorney? So that that just seems like they're just picking apart the plaintiff's attorneys and limiting their ability to really, in the best way possible, take care of their clients. Um, you know, they're 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 saying that it's because they're 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 claiming that it's because they <clears throat> they're removing the the concept or the ability to inflate medical bills. Right. But obviously, on the flip side, like you just said, well, doesn't that prevent them from getting the earliest and quickest treatments and care possible at the outset? So then aren't you actually creating a problem down the line that you may end up having to pay more out as an insurance company than if you were to take care of them from the very beginning? Um, but this is, of course, kind of, in my opinion, under the same concept of insurance claims and I know they're not legally allowed to do this, but I've seen it happen time and time again, where insurance companies just outright reject a claim immediately as their first step and standard operating procedure. And then if you reapply for that claim as an insurance, you know, for that to towards the insurance company, then they might review it. But I've seen it happen. It does happen. Um, and I don't think that this is this is going to make it even worse.
Yeah. And so, Grace, as a result of this law coming into effect, what happened in Florida is like literally the day before it became, uh, you know, passed into law, the amount of claims that got filed just clogged the entire uh, uh, court system in Florida uh, right now, as you would expect. So obviously, you know, uh, there's going to be delays now. Uh, it's going to be quite a period of time while everything here now runs its course. But can you imagine like how much the trucking industry, for instance, might have lobbied on this on this law and to put all this burden into the the the, the court system of the state? just to be able to pass this, you know, I guess it just comes to to show a little bit, Grace, going back to what you were saying, is where legislation is heading to at, at, at a bigger scale. Now, this is what we're seeing in Florida could very likely start also transitioning into, into other states. One, one thing that we've usually always used here as the antidote to how to be prepared for this type of incidents and to be able to better weather out these adaptation periods are or is diversification, right? We always say that, right? You, you don't put all mm -hmm. your marketing eggs in one basket. Don't put all your practice area eggs in one basket either, because things like this can happen constantly. So you need to diversify your practice, diversify your marketing spend, diversify everything you do because yeah, you never know. Yeah. And one of those diversification options that exist out there is masters. It, it, it is, it is not something that you can certainly know that's going to go well, but you can also not discount that it will fail right from the get-go. So it is 100% an alternative. And I think, Grace, you know, one of the uh, really uh, hopeful success stories that, that we can just touch in the last few minutes of this conversation is the developing news that there have been around um, Johnson & Johnson who just now agrees or suggested paying almost $9 billion to settle talcum powder lawsuits. This is after they've tried to declare bankruptcy on a invented LLC corporation just not to have to pay this. And so why don't you tell us a little bit more about what went on here? So yeah, this, I mean, it was insane what happened yesterday. It all went down in the span of a few minutes. Um, they posted this huge article, Johnson & Johnson, directly from them, saying that they're going to pay $8.9 to settle all talcum powder lawsuits. So that is, this, and it is, and was, a marketing ploy by Johnson & Johnson to get all the plaintiff's attorneys and all of the clients of the plaintiff's attorneys to start yelling and screaming that they want the settlement that, oh, look, Johnson & Johnson's offering money. So why aren't you guys going to start settling immediately? So it went, again, within the span of the same day yesterday, um, it was there was a conversation with the MDL attorneys, the MDL attorneys and other attorneys that are involved in these talcum powder cases, created a united front, spoke to each other and said, this is just a marketing ploy 
by Johnson and Johnson to try and get clients to settle and make them settle quickly. Um, they are not going to accept this. They are going to present a united front and have told Johnson and Johnson that Johnson and Johnson immediately took down not the article, but they took uh, they took it back. And it's going it now there's it went immediately again within the same day. It went right back into this day. You can't file any more cases. It, it reverted within a couple of hours that it was open. The MDL was open back up for filing cases. Then it was closed back up because this is this was exactly that. Just a marketing ploy by Johnson and Johnson to try and make people settle for less and have pressure from the clients to get this money now because they've been waiting so long. As of now, this money is not going to get accepted and they're still going to fight it. Correct. And why, and why, are, why are these good news, Grace? What is the likelihood of this actually turning into more beneficial for the victims and for the law firms representing them? Because this is a low blow. Johnson & Johnson knows what they're doing when it comes to the amount of money they actually have and the amount of cases that are actually out there. $9 billion barely covers anything. And I'll tell you why. If you looked at the initial cases that they filed that were filed against them they settled 34 million a billion and in some cases that's true yeah and that's true. they they think that and people do forget this right yeah but they think that people are gonna be dumb enough to not listen to their lawyers right there's a reason you hire yeah. a lawyer and your lawyer is gonna fight for the highest amount of compensation possible and they know that this is a ploy they can say that to the judge and be like judge this is why they did this not, yeah. not the real reason that they're claiming that they want to settle these and be done with it. No. Look at the amount of cases that they settled before and how much those were worth. Now oh, you're telling 100%. me, right? Now you're trying to tell me yeah. that 100,000 plus, you know, probably who knows how many cases are out there. 60,000 cases. And that's un that, that's what's filed. So imagine yeah. what's been un what's unfiled because of the stay for the last year or two years that they were in this Texas two-step bankruptcy situation. So the stay yeah. is back on. So that, that's 60,000 cases that they're trying to claim that's all they want to settle. And for $9 billion, not going to happen. That is not the right way to, to, to treat this. And they're just trying to get rid of their liability again. Yeah. Yeah. But obviously, Grace, this, you know, looking at the full picture, zooming out, having moved from, as you're saying, the two-step bankruptcy ploy to now starting to talk about a potential settlement to now you know, the plaintiffs being in a position where they can uh, ask for more, it's a big uh, full circle. And it's so important, right, to think about. I mean, I, I'm just thinking here in this podcast how long we've been talking about talcum powder and pretty much since the first uh, year that we've been recording this podcast, that it's now four years, we've been actually talking about this particular master. And, and so it's just such a good uh, demonstration of just, how masters work path of litigation is varied and wide and different by case mm -hmm. type manufacturer mm -hmm. case type injury yeah. i mean so many things that go into it but yeah it's yeah. interesting to see this so many years later now it absolutely is grace it absolutely is well thank you so much for the insights thank you for giving us an update on what's been happening here in talcum powder and why don't we try to wrap this up with a few takeaways so I think my first takeaway is going to be about diversifying your practice. I mean, I know it's something that we constantly talk about and um, you should diversify your practice into things that you 
understand, know, and feel like it can benefit your firm um, by one, diversifying, and two, because it's something you believe in. You know, as a lawyer, those are the things you want to do anyway. So, you know, even if it's a daycare practice, right, where you, you know, negligence at daycares, I've heard that too, right? And not everybody can be the, the trucking accident guru of Atlanta, but you can niche it and say, hey, I'm going to be the best at this and taking care of people with, you know, TBIs or traumatic brain injuries. So diversify your practice, just like we constantly tell you to diversify your marketing, because anytime something like this happens, like Florida tort reform, it can affect your business so significantly that it might end up closing you. So look out there. Yeah, I really like how you frame that, Grace, niching, like niching down to some particular area where you can really develop an expertise and really kind of like beat the competition. Uh, but at the same time, diversifying from the standpoint that you're not just relying on what is it that you're doing internally in your practice to generate cases and to generate revenues, but you're also um, putting out other streams for revenues that are a little bit more independent to what you do. Uh, so I really think that is great. I, I think, Grace, a uh, good takeaway here is I'm going to say the joint mastermind groups, right? They're, they're so powerful from the standpoint that you can really hear firsthand from people who are probably going through the uh, challenges that you may be facing right now in your journey of uh, running your law firm. But at the same time, also be very well aware in an open and safe place to hear how other firms who are going through some of the same challenges that you're going right now, for instance, just like we've talked about the Florida tort reform, uh, what are they doing about it, right? How they're navigating through this. I think it's uh, extremely valuable to have this type of network where you can show more vulnerability and at the same time have people who at different levels of the uh, in the industry can actually share their insights and help find figuring out your strategy. So I think it's not just on the bad times that you want to be on a mastermind. I think master, the, the way that mastermind groups work is that you want to be able to give as much as you take for it to really be a beneficial community. But obviously during these times when things may seem to be a little bit more difficult, it's a great time to be there. And the last takeaway, Grace, unless you want to add something else to what I've just said, no, I think that's good. I think you're right. I mean, you you should be a part of a group network. We constantly talk about that. You know, we're open, we're open source information. If you have questions about things, you know, that have to do with legal marketing, you know, ask Liel. You know, if you have, be a part of a mastermind because that is a safe place for you to go. But don't be afraid to reach out to the people you do know. I mean, even if you're just listening to this podcast and you have a question about something that we've discussed reach out. We are more than happy to answer your questions. That's all I wanted to add. Absolutely, Grace. Grace, reach out. Take away number three. And we'll do our best. We don't have all the answers, but we'll try to get them for you or point you out to a better source than us. So thanks so much. Yeah. Hold tight until we have our next conversation, which is going to be after Masters Made Perfect. So I'm really looking forward to the insights that you bring. Speak then. All right. Thank you, Leah. Take care. Bye. If you like our show, make sure you subscribe, tell your co-workers, leave us a review, and send us your questions at ask at We'll see you next week.